You're listening to the Redeeming Grace Church podcast. For more information about our church, go to rgcrc.org. Amen. It's beautiful words to sing this morning. Our sermon text is John chapter 10, verse 19 through 42. So if you have a Bible, I would encourage you to open it up, turn it on, get the text of God's word in front of you. We want you to see uh, the beautiful words of of God uh, for yourselves. And so we encourage you to open your Bibles there and I will go ahead and read the text and then Jordan will come up and lead us through, uh, through this text to understand and apply it to our hearts. So John Chapter 10, verse 19. There was again a division among the Jews because of these words. Many of them said, he has a demon and is insane. Why listen to him? Others said, these are not the words of one who is oppressed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? At that time, the feast of dedication took place at Jerusalem. It was winter, and Jesus was walking in the temple in the colonnade of Solomon. So the Jews gathered around him and said to him, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Jesus answered them, I told you, and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me, but you do not believe, because you are not among my sheep. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. The Jews picked up stones again to stone him. Jesus answered them, I have shown you many good works from the Father. For which of them are you going to stone me? The Jews answered him, It is not for a good work that that we are going to stone you, but for blasphemy. Because you, being a man, make yourself God. Jesus answered them, Is it not written in your law? I said, You are gods. If he called them gods to whom the word of God came and and scripture cannot be broken, do you say of him whom the Father consecrated and sent into the world, You are blaspheming because I said I am the Son of God? If I am not doing the works of my Father, then do not believe me. But if I do them, Even though you do not believe me, believe the works that you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I am in the Father. Again, they sought to arrest him, but he escaped from their hands. He went away across the Jordan to the place where John had been baptizing at first, and there he remained. And many came to him, and they said, John did no sign, but everything that John said about this man was true, and many believed in him there. Good morning. Um, Thank you guys for tuning in to this live stream, and I am um, really excited to bring this passage of Scripture to you this morning. Um, There's just a lot of wonderful truths in this passage for for our lives today. Um, Before I get into John chapter 10, verses 19 through 42, I want to give a big overview of the book of John so far. the, the author is making a transition, and that transition is going to begin in chapter 11. Uh, thus far, Jesus has 
the author's really been focusing on Jesus' public ministry. And next week, we're going to really begin Jesus' private ministry in his final days before his death, burial, and resurrection. So I'm going to begin in, in John chapter 1 and just do a quick overview of, of where we've gone so far in this, this, uh, this sermon series. And I hope that really helps you sort of understand the trajectory of the, the, uh, of the direction that I'm heading in for this message this morning. We see in John chapter 1 that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory, glory as if the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. We also see in John 1 that the Word is referred to by John the Baptist as the Lamb of God who takes the sin of the world away. And his first disciples call him Son of God, Rabbi, the Son of Man, Messiah, King of Israel, Jesus of Nazareth. We see this Jesus, the Word of God, perform his first miracle in John chapter 2. He turns water into wine. He also speaks of the new covenant by saying that he was going to destroy the Jewish temple and raise it up in three days, speaking of his death, burial, and resurrection. We see in John chapter 3 that man is totally depraved. And the only way one can see and partake of the new life, the new covenant that Jesus is promising, is if that person is born again by the Spirit of God. We also see in John 3 that God so loves the world that he gives his only begotten Son so that people do not have to perish. But whoever believes in the Son, those people get eternal life and reconciliation with God. We see in John 4, Jesus promises the Samaritan woman that he has water to give that becomes a spring bubbling with eternal life. We also see in John 4, Jesus performs his second miracle by healing the official son from afar. We see in John 5, Jesus performed his third miracle by healing the paralyzed man. We see also in John 5 that he was claiming to be God incarnate, and the Jews wanted to kill him for this claim. We see in John 6, Jesus performed his fourth and fifth miracle of multiplying a few barley loaves and fish to be enough food to feed 20 plus thousand people, and Jesus walked on water as well. We also see in John 6 that Jesus is the bread of life, and whoever comes to him shall not hunger, and whoever believes in him shall never thirst. We see in John 7 that if anyone is thirsty, that person should come to Jesus and drink. We see in John 8 that Jesus is the light of the world, and whoever follows him will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. We also see in John 8 that if a person abides in the words of Jesus, that person is truly a disciple of Jesus, and that the truth will set a person free. We also see in John 8 that Jesus again claims to be God incarnate. We see in John 9, Jesus performed his sixth sign of healing the man who was blind from birth. Lastly, that brings us to John 10 this morning, where we see Jesus as being the good shepherd who lays down his life for his sheep. And we see that he does this on his own accord because he has the authority over life and death. So I hope that helps you sort of remember all of the wonderful things Jesus has said thus far and all of the radical claims that he's made. Beginning in verse 19, and what we're going to talk about this morning is the authority of the good shepherd. The authority of the good shepherd. We're going to see that the authority of the good shepherd was rejected by many of the Jews, was embraced by those who follow him, is given by God the Father, was made visible by his miraculous works, and is affirmed by all of Scripture. And that's, that's the, the quick outline of where we're going to be going this morning. So look with me in verse 19 of chapter 10. 
There was, again, a division among the Jews because of these words, because of all the words that Jesus has just has spoken of, of him being the good shepherd, of him having authority over life and death, of him being the gatekeeper. There, were, there was a division that arose because of these words. Many of them, verse 20, said he has a demon and is insane. Why listen to him? Others said, these are not the words of one who is oppressed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? What we see here is two categories of people, two groups of people. We see one group of people who reject the Messiah. That's what we see in verses 19 through 21. There was a division that arose, and many of them are saying, Jesus has got a demon. And then there's some other people who are saying, well, a demon clearly cannot perform the miracles that Jesus had. Jesus, uh, demons oppress people. Jesus has given life to people. And there's a division amongst the Jews, and that's what we see in verses 19 through 21. And many of the Jews rejected and didn't embrace the authority of the Good Shepherd. And we see that by Jesus' response in, in the, next coming pa- the next coming verses here. Um, the setting is in verses 22 through 23. Look with me. At the time of the Feast of Dedication um, took place at Jerusalem. It was winter. The Feast of Dedication, I'm not going to go into great detail about this, but basically what this is is Hanukkah. Um, many of us probably know of that festival today. Jews even practice it. So it's around Christmas time. And that's kind of the setting. That's what's taking place. And, uh, and Jesus was walking in, 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 in Solomon's temple. Um, so that's, that's sort of the setting. So look with me in verse 24. Let's think back of these two categories of people. One who rejects the authority of the good shepherd. And we're going to see this other category that Jesus speaks of, of, of embracing the authority of the good shepherd. So in verse 24, So the Jews gathered around him and said to him, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. So it's important to note here that this suspense that the Jews have, this curiosity that these Jews have of Jesus, isn't a curiosity that leads to belief. They're trying to trap Jesus in his words. They want him killed. They want him arrested. In fact, you see that in verse 31, after Jesus makes his claim, these Jews, these same Jews, picked up stones again to stone him. They did not want, they were, they were, they did not want Jesus around. He was making claims that was testing their authority. He was challenging them and they wanted him gone and they wanted to trap him in his words. That's what this suspense or this curiosity these Jews had. That's what they were looking for. You probably know people who are never, their curiosity isn't necessarily so they can believe. It's so they can kind of justify their unbelief. They're never satisfied with a Bible answer. Um, and then there's another category of people that Jesus is going to speak of who is, um, is seeking, they have curiosity that, that is interested in believing and embracing the authority of the Good Shepherd. So in verse 25, Jesus responds to their suspense. I told you, and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me. Jesus is saying, hey, I've told you, I've told you who I am. I've made radical claims of who I am. And in fact, my works, the works that I've been doing, have been speaking of my divinity. <laughs> you've, seen, you've seen my works. You've seen who I am. What I've been doing, only God has been a, is, is possible of, of performing. No human has done what, what Jesus has done. And that's what he's speaking of. He's speaking of his works, speaking of his, his works really confirming his, his authority. But Jesus also speaks of these people who, who embrace uh, the authority of the Good Shepherd in verse 26. 
He says, but you do not believe me because you are not among my sheep. Jesus says, you don't believe because you're not a part of my fold. And he, he says in verse 27, he speaks of sort of the, the criteria of, of his sheep. He says, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. Jesus says here that those who embrace my authority, they get something, they receive something, they get a promise. He says in verse 26 that these people who embrace him, embrace his authority, they believe in their shepherd. They believe in who he is. And then in verse 27, we see that they listen to their shepherd's voice and follow him. So there's an obedience. Earlier in the book of John, Jesus says, those who, who are followers of me abide in my words. They're obedient. Those who embrace the authority of the good shepherd, they, they believe in his words. They're obedient. They hear his voice. They respond in faith and believe in who he is. And they, they receive something from this. And Jesus says this in verse 28. You get something by, by being under the authority of the good shepherd. By embracing the authority of the, of the good shepherd, you receive a promise from God. And these promises in verse, verse 28 and 29 are amazing promises for those of us who claim Jesus to be our good shepherd. Who, those of us who have repented and turned from our sin and embraced Jesus as the only way that we could be forgiven and reconciled to God. That he is, he is now our shepherd. These promises are only for those who have heard the shepherd's voice. Look with me in verse 28. He says, I give them eternal life and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. What a wonderful promise for the Christian. What a wonderful promise for the sheep. Right? We get eternal life. We get to live forever. We get heaven. That's what we get to receive. Not only that, but we get to be safe forever in the hands of the shepherd, that he's in charge of the fold, that he will never let a sheep wander outside of his, his fold. He's the gatekeeper. He's in charge of this fold. And this is a, a, a wonderful promise for, for our lives today, right? That, that Jesus keeps us and, and, and secures us. There's a common thing that most Christians believe, and it's uh, in, the, in the, they call it in the perseverance of the saints, or once saved, always saved. And we hear that from, from Jesus' words here. We hear that, that once we're saved, we're always saved. Nothing will snatch us from his hand. There's a promise that Paul gave to the church in Philippi, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the coming day. If Jesus, if you've heard his voice and you've responded in faith, that work that he's began in you, will, it will come to completion. He will finish the work. He, he's holding you in his hands. Uh, R.C. Sproul in his devotional on the book of John writes this. If it were left to us, we would all fall away from the faith and perish. But Jesus promised here that he will keep all of his sheep secure. No one can rip them away from him. Here's a very simple illustration of this biblical concept. A strong father is walking with his three-year-old son beside a dangerous railroad track. There are two ways the father can protect the son. He can reach out his hand and say to the little boy, Now listen, son, hold on tightly to my hand, because if you let go, you could fall onto the tracks and be killed. Or the father can say, Son, give me your hand. And he takes the boy's hand and holds, him, holds on to him, Thus the father holds on to the son rather than the son holding on to the father. Which is the sure method? The latter, right? And this is the promise for, for, the, for the sheep. That Jesus is holding on to you. You aren't holding on to him. 
And if he's began a good work in you, begun a good work in you, he will bring it to completion. And trust, trust in that promise today if you are of the fold. So we've seen that the authority of the good shepherd has, we have two categories of people, is rejected by some and is embraced by others. And the people who embrace the authority of the good shepherd, they receive something. They receive eternal life, eternal security. Jesus will never, they will never be snatched out of his hand. He will always keep them. He will protect them. And then we see that in verses 29 and 30 that the authority of the good shepherd is given by, by God the Father. The, 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 the authority that Jesus possesses is given by the Father. So look with me in verse 29. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. Jesus makes a really profound statement here, two profound statements, one speaking of his divinity, and the other is speaking of his Father actually has handed over the authority to him, and his Father is greater than all, and the Father here is God the Father, the creator of the universe, the creator of the world. Jesus has been given authority from him. And that's a wonderful, wonderful truth for us because the one in charge over life and death is Jesus. He's in charge, he's in charge of everything. And why that's good news is because he's lived a perfect life. He lived a sinless life for you and I. And he's been given the authority. He died and those who believe in him by faith, our sins died with him, were buried with him and we were resurrected to new life as he was resurrected to new life. The authority of Jesus is a wonderful thing for, for, for all of humanity, <laughs> that he's in charge now, that he holds the keys, that he has the authority over life and death, and it was given to him by the Father. Jesus is saying here, Father and Son, he's saying, are one in purpose and nature. And the doctrine that Jesus is referring to here is what is commonly known as the triune nature of God. And this is a really, really important doctrine for Christians to believe, Right? This is incredibly important here. What does Jesus mean by I and the Father are one? And he's speaking of the triune nature of God. I'm not gonna go into great detail about the Trinity, but I would strongly encourage those who haven't studied the Trinity to do so and to look at the Bible and look how God has a triune nature. Wayne Grudem, who wrote A Systematic Theology, defines the Trinity as this. God eternally exists as three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And each person is fully God and there is one God. Jesus here is saying, my authority has been given to me by God the Father. And, he, and, and, and we know that Jesus is speaking of him being fully man and fully God, that he just made the claim that he is God incarnate by what the, the Jews, how the Jews responded in verse 31. Look with me. The Jews picked up stone again to stone him. <laughs> it, this was blasphemy by their standard. He just claimed to be God incarnate and he needs to die for that. This wasn't the first time that the Jews had tried to stone Jesus or to kill him. Um, in fact, in John chapter five, they, they tried to do the very same thing. So Jesus responds to them picking up stones and about to throw, throw them at him. He, he answers them and says this in verse 32. I have shown you many good works from the Father. For which of them are you going to stone me? <laughs> I've performed mighty miracles I've proven that my authority, that I have the authority over life and death, that I, that I have the authority to heal sick people, to heal the blind, clearly things that only God incarnate can do. I've shown you these works. My miracles have really 
communicated and valid, made validation to my authority. Um, and he says here, uh, so that's sort of what he responds to the Jews who are about to stone him. And look with me in verse 33. The Jews answered him, it is not for a good work that we are going to stone you, but for blasphemy because you being a man make yourself God. This is really, really interesting. They're not denying the works that Jesus has performed. They're just saying, we're, we're about to kill you because of the claim that you made. And if you look back to verse 20, many of them said he has a demon and is insane. Why listen to him? <laughs> they just basically wrote him off in verse 20, like don't even listen to anything he's saying. None of the miracles that he, that he did or have, should even be considered. But here, in verse 33, they're like, we're not denying that you, you had good works and that you've performed these mighty miracles, but, but for blasphemy because you being a man make yourself God. And this is important to understand as we get into verse 34, verses 34 through 39, because Jesus says some pretty confusing things here. Uh, his, the words that he says are, are, quite, are quite confusing. Well, let's just read them again. Jesus answered them, um, Is it not written in your law, I said you are gods? Lowercase g, it's important to note that. <clears throat> If he called them gods to whom the word of God came and scripture cannot be broken, do you say of him whom the father consec uh, consecrated and sent into the world, you are blasphemy because I said I am the son of God? If I am not doing the works of my father, they do not believe me. But if I do them, even though you do not believe me, believe the works that you may know and understand that the father is in me and I am the father. What in the world is Jesus talking about here? He's quoting from a he's quoting from a psalm. He's quoting from Psalm 82, actually the psalm that we read earlier. And he's affirming his authority. He's saying my authority is affirmed by all of scripture. My my authority has is is affirmed by all of scripture and is affirmed by Psalm 82 verse 6. But why does he quote Psalm 82 verse 6? Well, I'm going to read uh, a couple of paragraphs from a guy who's way smarter than me, who's going to be able to explain this in a much more helpful way than I would. I could probably try to, but I'd butch it and you wouldn't understand. You'd be more confused and that's not helpful. So let me, let me quote a long section from, um, from actually R.C. Sproul again and just explain to you in, in his words what Jesus means here. <clears throat> it, uh, they said, quote, we're stoning you for blasphemy because you being a man make yourself God. How ironic is it that exactly the opposite had happened? As I noted above, John tells us in the very first verse of this gospel that Jesus was with God and was God. A little later he notes, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. The eternal second person of the Trinity, who from all eternity was very God, of very God, became a man. He took upon, upon himself a human nature. God made himself man. But the Jewish authorities accused Jesus of being a, a plan who made himself God or represented himself as God. They got it completely backward. Jesus' reply is difficult to understand. Jesus answered them, Is it not written in your law, I said you are gods? If he called them gods, to whom the word of God came and the scripture cannot be broken, do you say of him whom the Father sanctified and sent into the world, you're, you are blaspheming because I said I am the Son of God? Right? How, much, how much more validity do my words have 
than, 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 than what the psalm is even saying here. It almost sounds as if Jesus was trying to take advantage of a Jewish technical loophole here. He said, you're accusing me of blasphemy because I call myself God. Aren't you familiar with the verse in the Old Testament where human beings are called gods, lowercase g? The verse Jesus cited is Psalm 82.6. In all probability, it was a reference to human judges who carried out a divine function, dispensing, dispensing justice. Um, in popular verdage, they were called gods. That was sort of the common cultural understanding of, of, of this psalm. So Jesus was appealing to historical uh, evidence. He was saying in the Old Testament, some human beings were called gods and nobody picked up stones to kill them for blasphemy. Why are you ready to stone me? By citing this verse, which gave evidence that some mere mortals were called gods, Jesus was not implying that he was a mere mortal too, and that's important to note. Right? That's not the way the argument was going. Uh, this is a lesser to the greater argument. Basically, Jesus was saying to his adversaries, if it was okay in the Old Testament times for people who were mere mortals to be called gods, how much more legitimate is it for one who is God incarnate to be called God? Right? Again, this, this passage you really have to labor over, and I hope these words are helpful for you. So by citing this verse, which gave evidence that some mere mortals were called gods, Jesus was not implying that he was a mere mortal too. Right? That's, again, that's not the way the argument was going. Notice, notice what he said about his identity. Do you say of him whom the Father sanctified and sent into the world, you are blaspheming because I said I am the Son of God? Jesus was saying, I am the one whom the Father set apart for this task of coming to the world to save my sheep. Do you think it is blaspheming for me to say that God set me apart for this? If God gave me this holy mission and this holy task, if God sent me into the world to perform the works that I've done before your very eyes to accuse me of blaspheming is the worst of all kinds of blasphemies. Of course, if God had not set Jesus apart and sent him into the world, and he had then stood up and said, I am the Son of God, I, I give everyone eternal life with no corroborating miracles, that would have been blasphemy. But, these, uh, but, but there was nothing in the thinking of his, his adversaries to even allow for the possibility of the incarnation of God. This is important to note. In our day, the great stumbling block uh, for the unbeliever is the resurrection. But in the first century, the great stumbling block for the enemies of the Christian faith was the incarnation. The idea that God would take upon himself a, a, a human nature. Uh, that was the scandal to the first century mind and those who fought it and denied it were not as sheep. They were the wolves and wanted to destroy the sheep and the shepherd together. I know that was long, but it, it's, it's needed to understand this passage. And Jesus, the most important thing that, that I really want you guys to take from this, appeals to scripture to point to his, his, his authority. That he appeals to scripture to point to his authority, to, to validate his authority as, as the good shepherd. In this passage, we've seen that the authority of the good shepherd is rejected by many of the Jews, and the same is for today. Many people reject the authority of the good shepherd. We also see in this passage that there are some who hear the shepherd's voice and they embrace the authority of the good shepherd and they follow him. And those who do that, they get a certain promise. They get eternal life. They get eternal security. They're safe. 
the authority of the good shepherd is good. It's a good place for us to be under. It's, it's, it's the best authority in all of creation. We also see that Jesus' authority was handed over by God the Father. And we've seen that that was a good thing as well because Jesus lived a sinless and perfect life for us. He took upon himself our sin and died, was raised again, defeating sin, and provided forgiveness and reconciliation before God for all those who place their faith in Christ. We've seen that Jesus' authority, the good shepherd, was made visible, was validated by his miraculous works throughout his ministry. And we also see that Jesus' authority, the good shepherd's authority, has been affirmed by all of Scripture. What does this mean for our lives today? What does this mean for our lives today? Well, for those who for those who have rejected the authority of the Good Shepherd, I hope that through this live stream that, that you've heard his voice today and that you have seen that the, the authority of the Good Shepherd is, is good and is right and is the greatest authority and, and is the only authority that we could sit under that provides forgiveness and reconciliation before God. So I hope that you hear his voice today. What does this mean for those who have embraced the Good Shepherd and, and have are sitting under the authority of the Good Shepherd. This means that God has given us in Christ wonderful promises, a promise of eternal safety and security, that nothing we do will separate us from the love of God because of what Christ has done on our behalf. There is no more condemnation for those who are in Christ. And Romans 8 goes a little further and says, nothing can separate you from the love of God. Not trial or tribulation, nothing and he's holding on to you. And that's a wonderful promise for us. And that's, that has huge implications for our life. And I pray that you would lean into the promises that God has given to you in Christ. And I would encourage you beyond this message to reflect upon those promises and reflect upon those truths and apply them to your life. The last thing that I think this, for those who are sheep, the implication that this has for our lives today is that Jesus appealed to scripture to affirm his authority. And we ought to be men and women who look to scripture alone as our only source of authority, as the only piece, uh, uh, the only writing, the only book that we spend the most time in, that we know and we treasure because every single word that is pinned down in this book is God's word. Every and or 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 but is God inspired. This is inspired word and we ought to treasure it. And I would encourage you even in your life today if you maybe have been growing distant in your Bible reading or just treasuring God's word, go back to it as it's the source of life and is the only piece of authority, it's the only writing that we have that we sit under and Jesus confirmed that by his appealing to Psalm 82. Let me pray for us this morning and uh, we'll get into discussion here. Father, I thank you for this day that we uh, get to gather, though in an imperfect sense via live stream, we thank you for the means of communicating in this way. And I pray, Lord, that your bride today would see that the authority that you have is good and is right and is the only authority that we ought to be in submission to and to listen to and obey to. And we thank you that you've provided a way in which we could be reconciled to God and forgiven of our sin. And I pray for those this morning 
around the world who have not heard the shepherd's voice, that they would hear the shepherd's voice, even through this passage, through this message. In Jesus' name, amen. When I fear my fate will bear, Christ will hold me fast. When the tempter would prevail, He will hold me fast. I could never keep my hold through life's fearful path, for my love is often cold. He must hold me fast. He will hold me fast. He will hold me fast. And for my Savior loves me so. He will hold me fast. he saves are his delight Christ will hold me fast precious in his holy sight he will hold me fast oh he'll not let my soul be lost his promises shall last but by him it's such a cost he will hold me He will hold me fast For my Savior loves me so He will hold me fast For my life He bled and died oh, Christ will hold me fast Justice has been satisfied He will hold me fast Raised with Him to endless life He will hold me fast Until our faith is turned to sight When He comes at last He will hold me fast he will hold me fast For my Savior loves me so He will hold me fast He will hold me fast He will hold me fast For my Savior loves me so He will hold me fast
we had a couple of last-second questions come in, so we wanted to glance at those real quick before we came up. Okay. All right. Okay. Let's bring on the questions here. Okay, get ourselves situated here. Yeah. I have, uh, I think, 17 questions. <laughs> and then 41 Yay. online. Yeah, no, there we just go. kidding. We did have a couple online, and I... I uh, can pull them up on my phone. These guys can ask them as well. So yeah, uh, what we like, what we've done um, ever since we've been live streaming, and actually before that, is uh, after the message, <laughs> just taking some time to respond to some questions. Uh, we always want to be a place that uh, where questions are welcome. Mm. This is not. We don't want to be a scary place for questions. We want to be um, uh, helpful, and uh, questions often lead us to the truth. Yeah. You know? So yeah. Um, and none of the people that are preaching up here are um, are perfect yeah. in our explanation of the scriptures. So yeah. sometimes, uh, sometimes we're not as clear as we'd like to be. So, right. um, so it, it's always always appropriate to to ask a question if you if you have a have have one. Yeah. All right. So where do I start? I jotted a few things down. Um, so let's start uh, a little bit here with uh, with one of the ones that I had, and we'll get to a couple that we have online. Okay. And you guys let us know if there's additional ones that pop up, but I appreciate uh, submitting a question. So um, in verses 19 through 21, okay. you grab your Bible there. Yeah, I don't have this memorized here. Yeah. So. <laughs> um, there's a split decision, essentially. Yeah. Jesus, uh, I preached last week about... Jesus being the good shepherd, mm -hmm. and that seems to really divide the crowd there. Some are like, this man's definitely blaspheming, and others right. are like, how could, a, how could someone who's blaspheming uh, be able to open the eyes of the blind? Yeah. So, uh, why is it that Jesus is so controversial? Like, that's one of the sweetest passages in all the scriptures on yeah. the good shepherd, right. and yet it seems to really get under people's skin. What is, I think, um, why is he so controversial? I think of that, I think, I can't remember explicitly where the passage is, but Jesus said his words were going to divide, right? His words were going to divide households even and mother and daughter and so forth. And so Jesus, I think, is claiming truth and is clearly opposing their their idea of truth. And so that, that always divides. And, uh, and he says, you know, those who... Those who reject me obviously are, have not heard my voice and are, are not under my authority. And then those who have embraced are sitting under the authority of the Good Shepherd. So I think just simply Jesus' words do divide. They're not just fluffy and, you know, like what he says is truth. And even today, there's what Jesus says does divide, I think, at times. Yeah. So... Yeah, we tend to think of Jesus as always yeah. kind of hugging everyone. Right. But uh, even yeah. the comforting words he gives yeah. offend the flesh. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so here's a question from Bree Brown. Okay. Oh, yeah. Uh, she said, uh, she said, Jordan, Jordan said that Jesus' words are our only authority. Oh, good clarification. Does this there. mean that church leaders, elders and pastors, don't have authority over us? <laughs> How do these authorities fit together? That's so, a really good question. Yeah. That's a really yeah, good question. Thanks, Bree. I kind of think that's directed at me, but... Um, <laughs> Thanks, Bree, so, for that. So, yeah, your statement about him being our only authority, Jesus is yeah. being our only authority. Yeah. How does that then relate to other spheres of authority? Yeah, that's, that's good. It's a good question. Um, and thanks for the clarification there. Yeah, so clearly Jesus is in charge of his bride, Right, he's the one calling the shots, but he's also instituted uh, certain offices within the church to uh, 
hold that authority as well. It doesn't mean that they're perfect like Jesus is. However, Jesus has said, hey, I'm going to institute elders, for example, and pastors to play an authority figure within the churches and who are going to be within authority. So, I, yeah, and the Bible also says we're, all, we're to submit to our leaders, those who are above us, because God has placed them in, in leadership. So our elders are just not people who are popular and cool. God has put those people in those positions, and so therefore we ought to submit to them. Um, doesn't mean that they're always right and, and so forth, but and we ought to have an open, I think, relationship with them and say, hey, you're, you're out of step with the word here. And um, But that, that does, yeah, so I don't know if that helps, but yeah, well, one thing I know is pastors and elders are not <laughs> popular and cool. <laughs> yeah, I, I think that's a good answer. And Jesus is the Lord of the church, the <clears throat> Lord of creation. Yeah. So in that sense, what he says and the authority he exercises is supreme. Right. And every other authority is a derivative authority. Yeah. So in the, in the sense that they reflect the Father's authority, they're a legitimate authority, hmm. if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. So I think a mm-hmm. pastor only has authority insofar as he is faithful to Christ mm. as his authority. So, yeah, yeah, um, it's good. So just someone who claims the title pastor doesn't necessarily have the right of authority. Right. That's why there's character qualifications, and he, is, he must be submitted to the word, too. Yeah, so, yeah. so I think your statement is right, and the fact that there are other authorities mm-hmm. under that, Correct. to the extent that they um, are obedient to God, they are good yeah. people authorities. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So gets more yeah. complicated as you look at different areas of that is a good really good question and mm-hmm. you know, that kind of stuff so, right yeah uh just different areas and uh imperfect yeah. expressions of authority so mm-hmm. it gets complicated but yeah good good response and uh josh reeves um oh, i thought we had blocked him yeah <laughs> from our live stream yeah um, no uh josh reeves asked this uh the passage spoke of many believing in jesus mm. what are they believing in was this saving belief through his sacrifice? I'm sorry, what, I, I misread that. Was his sa- was this saving belief through his sacrifice that wasn't known yet? Okay, I see what he's saying. Yeah. Verse uh, is he speaking of verse 41? Um, and many believed in him there. Yeah, I didn't even mention that. I but assume that's what he's talking. Yeah, about. yeah, yeah. I think so. To so the two the questions: the first what are question, they believing yeah. in? Right. And are they believing in something they don't know yet? Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good question. Uh, engineer brains, I guess. But <laughs> um, no. Uh, so they're they're believing. Jesus is speaking of them believing in His words, right? The words that He's spoken, the words that He has said, um, and and thus far, we He's mentioned His made sort of mention to His resurrection happening and His death burial and what He's going to accomplish, um, though that hasn't yet unfolded. Um, I think the people who would have believed during this time would have been putting their faith in, in what Jesus was going to, going to accomplish. And, uh, and I also think even the same question can kind of be, be applied to even the older Old Testament at large, right? And uh, Paul makes mention of that. And I think Romans, uh, was it 11, about the remnant of those who believed amongst the Jewish people? And I think those people were who were looking forward to what the Messiah was going to accomplish. And that meaning purchase our salvation so i don't know if that helps a little bit answer that but yeah it's they have a forward-looking faith in that sense they still have kind of an old testament saving faith in that the work of christ hasn't totally been right revealed yet the spirit hasn't totally been poured out on all flesh yet yeah so it is a forward-looking faith but yeah uh, assume you know because sometimes there's in the book of john people who appear to believe and then we find out later they didn't that it's a 
that it's not a true belief. So mm-hmm. we'll have to we'll have to wait and see <laughs> if these yeah. ones that are mentioned here are true believers or or not. But right, um, yeah, it's a good question. It's a tough one. So, is there another question? Is there another question? Oh come on, bring it. Oh, boy. Uh, okay, so no one on the live stream heard any of that. They just saw me sitting here. Oh, okay, good. But there was a question on why I'm so handsome. Yeah. I assume, oh, the preacher. The well, preacher. you're the preacher. Oh, I think I know where the comment came from. So. Wow. I just am always assuming that they're talking to me when they speak. Okay. So, I, all right, I, I, all right I pers- get back on track. Yeah, People geez, are watching ask online and they're biblical questions, not things that are obscure. Yeah. <laughs> any questions over here? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Kay. Let me re-ask the question so people can hear it. But, okay. Uh, can you explain the um, Can you explain the lesser to the greater argument that you mentioned? Yeah. Yeah. That's good. Um, I'm going to go back to my notes here because <laughs> uh, that's a really good question. Um, I think what what R.C. Sproul has in mind. Uh, and I hope I understood this correctly, um, is that Jesus is sort of appealing to what they would have uh, been under authority, and that being the scriptures. And so he's sort of appealing to the scriptures to make mention of his, of his authority, but he uses this, this argument to say, um, hey, you guys would, would call people in authority figures gods, lowercase g, and I'm making the claim to be the son of God. So I think that's what R.C. Sproul meant. Does that help? <laughs> yeah. Do you have something more? Uh, it's, it's difficult to know exactly what <laughs> Jesus is And I doing think you here. could take that passage and what he's meaning a couple of different directions probably. But Yeah, I haven't, haven't done the, the language work here, but um, I would guess that in Psalm 82, it's the word Elohim. Yeah. Gods, mm-hmm. powerful mm-hmm. ones. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's that's ascribed to God. God is called Elohim, but right. other th- other uh, authorities are considered Elohim. Too. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so that's interesting. In in light here, it's talking about in Psalm eighty two about God holding judgment mm-hmm. and then requiring those um, to ex- execute justice rightly. And in this sense, says you are God, sons of the Most High, all of you. Yeah. Meaning, I think they do have an authority under God, a power. They're not executing it rightly. Nevertheless, verse 7, like men you shall die and fall like any prince. So in a sense, it's like they kind of bear a title. Right. Um, not speaking of the one true God. Yeah. But, and they're exercising it inappropriately. Right. Therefore, proving to be... Yeah. Not worthy of the title. Yeah. And now I think Jesus, who is doing the works of divinity, mm-hmm. is proving to be worthy of the title. Yes. Which is why he then says, this is why you should believe the works. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So here's a lesser example of people who were given the title gods and proved to be unworthy of it. Yeah. Now you're saying I'm unworthy of that title, but I actually do the divine works. Right. So believe the works and therefore... Yeah, 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 yeah. In the ultimate sense. Right. So greater clarification. Um, yeah. yeah. Yeah, for sure. I, I think that's as I was sitting there thinking through how to kind of make sense of it, that was sort of the uh Yeah. The sense I got there. So Yeah. Is that 
Was that, did that make sense? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's really challenging. These are, they, these are very, yeah. very okay. challenging words from Jesus. Yeah. yeah. I like to give the toughest passes. Oh, man. You know, here. originally in the sermon series, I was supposed to preach on the the, the resurrection of Lazarus. Yeah, and I took that one from yeah, you. Yeah, you stole the glory. I gave did. me this difficult passage to stumble through hey. as I'm beginning my preaching career. Yeah. Suck it up, buttercup. Yeah. All right. <laughs> That's why we Very preach good. through the whole counsel of God, though. We don't yep. choose what we want here. That's so. right. Yep. Okay, so a couple more things, and then we'll move to our testimony. Hopefully yeah. people are hanging in there. Um, so, oh, I'll save that one for another time. Um, I, I just noticed in verse 34 mm-hmm. that Jesus says um, that in your law, right? Yeah. In your law, it says you are gods. Right. So, in Jesus' mind, the Psalms are part of that larger category of law. Right. Hmm. Interesting, yeah. So, just a kind of an interesting thing I noticed. Mm-hmm. So, when you think of the law as the first five books of the Bible, and it's right. Yeah. But sometimes when we hear the law and the prophets, it doesn't yeah. mean those necessarily as narrow, narrow categories, but actually he's mm-hmm. using the word law to apply to the Psalms even. Yeah. That in your law. Right. You know, so, and Scripture cannot be broken. Yeah. Meaning that he believes that every single word of Scripture is inspired, inerrant, authoritative, sufficient. Yeah. Yep. Perfect. Yep. So. It's good. Uh, it's less of a question, but more of an <laughs> observation that I just thought that was amazing. Yeah, yeah. Jesus and then he appeals to, yeah, a really weird psalm, right? It's not like he, there's much more clear text that he could have probably appealed to. <laughs> yeah. um, but he appeals to this psalm and says, hey, I think I think to speak of him, his belief in the authority of, of, of the whole counsel of God. And so, that, so, so that belief that Jesus is in contrast with the God of the Old Testament, like the Old Testament God was wrath and angry and yeah. bitter and grumpy, and Jesus is kind, and he kind of, you know. Dismisses like, it. No, every word of this Old Testament of Scripture is fulfilled in right. me, and you can't pit the Old Testament against the New Testament or Jesus against yeah. the Old Testament. And uh, every single word, it's Scripture cannot be broken. So, yep. okay, cool. Thank you, Jordan, yeah. for taking on that. Uh, you bet. Thanks. Thanks, text. thanks for the it's opportunity. Good to sit yeah. Under the word and, and hear you bring God's word. Yeah, so. absolutely. Um, I'm going to have Jordan's wife, Josie, come up, and she's going to have a little bit easier questions. Maybe. Maybe. Although sharing your testimony is not always easy either. So. All right. So each of these, uh, I'm going to have to remember to ask the question and give you the mic, or else it'll just be very quiet. But. Um, so I've basically asked three different questions of folks at the end of our service just to get to know them. One is how you grew up, how you came to trust in Jesus. So let's start with that one. Tell us about how you grew up and how you came to trust in Jesus. Well, it's kind of intimidating speaking to a camera, <laughs> so I'll turn to you, I guess. Um, I grew up in a Christian home primarily, um, but it was a broken Christian home, if that makes sense. My father left us when... I was probably four or five and, um, you know, had a series of affairs and so ended up getting a divorce with my mom. And so my mom um, taught me about Christ and about the gospel. Um, and my dad was just the complete opposite of that, I guess. Um, and so I remember when I was very little, um, sitting down with my mom and, you know, I want to be a Christian mom, you know, and so gave my life to Christ early on and knew kind of the basics that I was sinful and that, you know, the punishment for sin was death. And, um, 
and that Jesus took that for me and now I could live with him in heaven, you know? And so I, I understood that and, um, and it was very important to me. And, you know, I was, I was, I was, I was, oh my, as I was growing up, um, and having, you know, visitation with, um, my dad and his apartment and those kind of things, um, seeing the contrast between what it looks like to live for Christ and what it looks like to live for yourself and live for, um, kind of the gods of this world, the idols of this world, I guess. Um, it was a very distinct difference and it was easier for me to determine what was true and right and good and what was not, if that makes sense. Um, so that's how I came to trust in Jesus. I, I learned much about him and, and his comfort and his power and um, those kind of things because I was um, abused when I was with my dad um, through those visitations. And so, um, you know, I really um, used that time to cling to scripture and what I knew was true. Um, and I memorized a lot of scripture during that time and so kind of a sad thing that that turned into, I mean, something that was really fruitful in my life that if I was to go back and change it now, I wouldn't just because I wouldn't have the relationship I have with Christ now um, if I hadn't gone through the trial and the suffering. Um, but I certainly wouldn't wish it on anyone either. But anyways, I don't know if that answers your no, question. That's great. that's great. Thanks for sharing that. Appreciate your vulnerability in that. That's a that's a big thing. To be able to say, um, God used it, uh, you know, that that's that's only divine grace can do that. So tell us how you met your uh, your lovely. What was the word online? The handsome. handsome, your handsome husband. And you guys are expecting. So tell us just a little bit about your family. Um, well, I um, grew up in Minnesota and I went to college and my plan kind of was that I was going to meet this man in college and get married by the end, you know, of graduation and everything and have a family and be happy. And um, I kind of had this conviction developed when I was in college that I um, wanted to live on the mission field and bring the gospel to people that had never heard it. And I didn't find anyone in college that had these convictions like me. Um, and so I graduated and um, found Jordan on eHarmony, <laughs> eHarmony plug. And uh, we fell in love and it was magical. And now we have a baby on the way and that's about it. <laughs> it sounds magical. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm thankful for you guys and your, the calling God has on your life. And yeah, so in fact, that's my next question. What do you do now? And uh, how do you serve Christ? What do you guys intend to see? How do you see God and God using you in the future? Well, um, we both want to be missionaries. And so we are on track to becoming missionaries in the next couple of years. We've started the application process with the International Mission Board. And <laughs> Jordan's making faces at me. Um, and we are hoping to leave the country in about two years and spend the next 20, 30, however many years on the field planting churches and making disciples and sharing the gospel and that kind of thing. So right now we're kind of in a waiting period, um, but we have been, well, I have, I guess, more so than Jordan, but we've, we've been learning about 
um, the importance of hospitality and um, those kind of things. And so we've been reaching out to our neighbors and having our neighbors over and um, that kind of thing. Um, and so in this waiting period, we're going to try really hard to um, reach people where we're at and be faithful, you know, where we're planted now um, so that it's not going to be such a um, difference when we go overseas. It'll, we'll just be bringing those kind of convictions with us and those habits with us when we go. So if that makes sense. Yeah, great. Thanks. Well, you're off the hot seat. Thanks for sharing with us. And uh, yeah, we're grateful for you and Jordan for the calling on your life and how God is leading you. And uh, for uh, little baby Hirschfeld, it'll be here in a few months. So uh, thank you again for joining us on this live stream. And uh, let me go ahead and close us out with a benediction. It's a little bit longer one, 1 Peter 1, 18 through 21. But hear these words directly from God to your heart. You were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver and gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. It's a long benediction, but sweet words that uh, I pray touch your heart today. Thanks for joining us. Let us know if there's any way that we can serve you or pray for you this week. Thank you for listening to the Redeeming Grace Church podcast. For more information about our church, go to rgcrc.org.